This episode is supported by Jace Medical. You may or may not know that in December, drug shortages across the U.S. hit a record high. This is causing severe disruptions in medical treatments, resulting in delays, treatment cancellations, and the unfortunate rationing of vital medications. I know that I have heard in the last few months from multiple mom friends of mine, instances where they have not been able to get medications for themselves or for their children in critical crisis moments. This is so, so scary. I know I've had friends with their kids having seasonal flu cold symptoms, struggling to breathe, and they're at urgent care and unable to get the antibiotics that they need because of these shortages. This is scary stuff. Most notably, one of the short supply antibiotics is amoxicillin, which is commonly used for so many of our children's illnesses. So here's where Jace Medical comes in. They have the Jace case, which is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that are used for the most common and deadly bacterial infections. And you can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your or your children's family's unique needs, like an EpiPen, for example, something that you would never want to be without, would never want to have to run from pharmacy to pharmacy in pursuit of. So if you want to go get these medications and have your antibiotics on supply so that you always have them when you need them in case of an emergency, in case of a disaster, in case of being a, you know, a victim of this drug shortage, Jace Medical will have you covered. All you need to do is go to jacemedical.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code SHAMELESS at jacemedical, J-A-S-E medical.com, jacemedical.com, code SHAMELESS. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 152 with Charmaine Ironside. Show notes for this episode can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 152. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean, and I'm here to give you and other passionate, dedicated moms the tools you need to bridge the gap between motherhood and living the life of your dreams. I'm also here to help you be a little more shameless every day. Because if you aren't building a life you're extraordinarily proud of, what kind of legacy are you building? So let's dive in. Charmaine Ironside owns two successful fitness studios in Calgary, Canada with her husband, Patrick. She also owns The Diet Dropout, a thriving online coaching community where she helps women overcome challenges with weight, food, and supports them on mindset and gets them on the road to living their best lives and their best bodies. She enjoys all the hats that she wears, including being a mom to two-year-old daughter, Kennedy, a wife to her incredible husband, and an entrepreneur who is constantly looking for ways to help people better their lives. Charmaine is an eternal optimist who lives life to the fullest, takes responsibility for her own joys and for her success. I always love a good convo with a fellow fitness professional for sure. And I was especially excited to talk to Charmaine about her personal journey with dieting and weight loss. As it turns out, we had a lot of similarities, a lot of parallels. We both were raised by moms who did a lot of dieting. We were both exposed to dieting at a very young age and actually started our own diets at very young ages. And let's be honest, when you are a little girl dieting before the age of like, before you've hit puberty, it can kind of mess with you for like a lifetime. It gives you some self-image issues. And Charmaine and I both definitely fall into that camp. So this was a really interesting conversation. So listen in to hear Charmaine share her journey in emotional eating and how she overcame it, how she uses personal development to support habit change, the correlation between self-care and your relationship with food, power of kindness and gratitude and behavior change, how to be more intuitive and less restrictive, what you need to know about intermittent fasting and the keto diet, and how dieting disempowers you and removes your self-trust. 
So this was a great episode with a lot of information. We touched on a lot of things related to body image and diets and specifics about certain diets as well. So I think this will be a really helpful conversation to anyone who has a history of dieting or a relationship with food that has maybe been a little challenging at times, which I think most women can relate to that. So let's go ahead and dive in with Charmaine Ironside. Charmaine Ironside, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy to have you here today. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. We had so much fun in our pre-interview talking about our similar paths and that we both own local fitness facilities and we both are online helping people with transformations of different kinds. So I'm very excited to hear a little bit more about what you do and why you love it. So can you tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life right now? Yeah, so I have a couple of fitness studios in the city of Calgary up here in Canada where I live. And so we're really about a more holistic picture of health. You know, fitness is awesome. Moving your body because you care about yourself and you love yourself is kind of what we preach and practice. And I've always found that nutrition information is important, but if you're making other choices due to stress or emotions or various, I guess, habits that aren't serving you, then it's really hard to lose weight. And so after about eight years of being a personal trainer, I took my passion for, I guess, just living your best life and kind of put that into a new wellness business that I run on the side of the fitness studio. So that's my real passion is the diet dropout. And it's just helping people learn how to eat and live in a sustainable way without having to ever diet again. I love that. I was actually just having a conversation with some of my gym members a couple of days ago about why words matter and using the word diet versus using the word nutrition. And so right now I have gym members going through a transformation program. And when they reference the word diet, like, well, on this diet, and blah, 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 I say, no, 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 we're going to talk about like, well, I'm practicing this nutrition or on this nutrition program even, but like the word diet just freaks people out. So I love the concept of diet dropout and really losing some of the stigma around that and some of the mindset and the baggage that comes with that word. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think dieting, I mean, it's not necessarily a bad word, but it's got a pretty negative connotation, at least in my right. world. And I mean, it's just become more, I think people think of it has to be so restrictive, and you have to mm -hmm. cut out all the things you love. And that's been proven time and again, not to work long term. So I always tell people I'm in this for the long term, not if you just want to lose, you know, 10 pounds for a wedding next month, I'm not your gal, you know what I right, mean? Right, right. Totally. Yeah. What inspired the diet dropout and why did you need to be a diet dropout yourself? Yeah. So since I was 11 years old, I remember trying like my first grapefruit diet and, oh you know, just, just hating my body and having so much, you know, body shame. And so after dieting for about, you know, 20 years, I just finally realized that I didn't want to wake up when I'm 70 still on a diet and right. like this just wasn't working. I mean, yes, I could drop a lot of weight really quick, but I would always gain the weight back and usually more. And so I just kind of had this epiphany. I'm like, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. And so I just started looking deeper. And I mean, my big aha moment was my mom was passing away, actually, and I was at the hospice with her. And long story short, I literally ate an entire cheesecake. And I just thought that that was kind of normal. And there was like a chaplain and a social worker came in asking if I wanted to chat or anything. And I was like, no, no, I'm good. I got the cheesecake oh right here. And so emotional eating was such a habit and a 
just a way of life for me. I would say that food was really my drug of choice for kind of numbing out to the tough stuff in life. So it was like, yeah, if I'm going to eat entire cheesecakes and then alternate that with dieting, it's going to be a battle my whole life. And I just didn't want a battle with food the rest of my life. Did the emotional eating start when you were very young or was that something that crept in later after having done periods of restriction? Yeah, I think it definitely got worse. But uh, yeah, I remember just from a young age, you know, if something sad was happening, we would all go eat ice cream or, you know, someone died and let's go eat. And so it wasn't really appropriate to show your emotions. I remember being kind of feeling ashamed if I cried. And so yeah, I think food just became really a coping mechanism. Yeah, I would say from a quite a young age. Interesting. So have you seen with your, because I know emotional eating is something that a lot of women struggle with. And do you think that it is something that is usually a learned behavior from childhood, kind of like you just explained, where you're using it in place of expressing emotion? Yeah, 100%. I mean, whether it starts as a little kid, or maybe it's like in junior high, but yeah, I think most people's habits are set, you know, by the time they're like six years old. So I would say most people you know, my husband, for example, is not at all an emotional eater, and he doesn't really understand it. But yeah, I would say whatever coping mechanism we have kind of usually starts quite young, but not always, Mm -hmm. you know, some people have a tragedy happen and then turn to something. But yeah, I would say most of my clients that I've worked with can kind of trace it back to just, you know, the family did not, it was not okay to show emotion. So they figured out another way to, you know, take care of themselves. Right. That makes sense. And with emotional eating, I'm not an emotional eater because I often in a very, in highly emotional situations, I feel nauseous. So that Mm -hmm. limits my ability to be an emotional eater. But would you say that it's almost like what I notice with my clients, you can't just say like, well, just stop doing that. Cause it's a little bit like an addiction where Mm -hmm. it's such a strong coping mechanism that you're so connected to that it's not as simple as just saying just stop which is maybe like what your husband can't understand or like I know enough to know that I can't tell someone to just stop but it's a little bit like addiction in that way would you agree yeah definitely I mean like I've heard people like their doctor just says just eat less or you know like portion control or drink more water or like all these little tricks and tips and it's like well none of that matters when you're in this super stressful emotional time and all you know is food as a comfort. So yeah, I mean, I love that you said that you know more than to just tell someone to just eat less, but there's so many trainers out there still. Like, I don't want to say only men trainers, but I've had a lot of women come to me and they're like, yeah, like, you know, my trainer just didn't get it. He's just telling me to try this plan and he doesn't understand why I can't stick to it. I'm like, yeah, it's so much food is such a, such a loaded thing. It's not Mm -hmm. just eat less or eat this. It's so deep. Right. I've had multiple clients over the years who've really struggled. They'll do programs with me where they'll be really restrictive. And then when they're off the program, they go back into emotional eating and binging and they really have a hard time. Like they're either, they kind of are on program or off program, which I call it 
that's instead of saying on a diet and not on a diet, but that's my terminology for it. But when they're off program, they really feel a loss of control. And so what I've had to do over time is say, like, if this is your pattern, then it's beyond working with a personal trainer. You need to be working with a therapist or a psychologist because this is something so deeply rooted that it's not a matter of just like saying, okay, I'm going to follow this meal plan next week. You really need to get to the bottom of why is this your coping mechanism and why are you inclined to have these behaviors. And also that will allow you to start to work out of the guilt of it. Because I think a lot of, one of my clients called it secret eating, but I think a lot of people who struggle with emotional eating are, they have behaviors in secret, much like someone with an eating disorder. And this would definitely be considered a type of disordered eating, but they have all these behaviors that they're doing behind closed doors in secret that their families probably don't know about, that their spouses and kids maybe don't know about. I know that, you know, I've had a couple of my moms who are like, oh, I do my secret eating after the kids go to bed or while the kids are at school. So no one really knows it's happening. And you can't just say like, stop doing that. Um, So Mm -hmm. I often will refer people out in those situations, refer them out to therapists and psychologists, because that is something that needs to be managed with someone with a different scope of practice than a personal trainer. Mm -hmm, For sure. So tell us a little bit about your life before and after becoming a diet dropout. How do you live differently? And how has your relationship with food evolved, especially in that emotional eating capacity? Yeah, so before kind of making some big changes and doing a lot of kind of deep personal development work, I define my relationship to food as like a constant war, a battle. I was like, if I wasn't feeling guilty about what I just ate, I was already planning my next meal. I remember waking up at like five in the morning, being like waking my husband up and being like, what are we going to do for dinner tonight? And like, I was obsessed with food. So every moment of my day, I'd say was colored with just food thoughts, whether, you know, thinking about it or yeah, feeling guilty about it. So there's so many things I could say here, but I guess now I eat to live. Like I love food. I'm a self-proclaimed foodie. (laughs) Food is, I'm not afraid to admit it. Like food is one of my big joys in life. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I've come to a point where I eat because I need physical nourishment, but I also take joy out of that food. So instead of like food being my only source of joy, it's just like an enhancement in my life. But before it was like, it was all I really knew how to feel good. Like I love your podcast and different guests that have come on. And if you don't take care of yourself in non-food ways, then food becomes the easiest comfort in town. And you just, you know, especially at night binge eating and stuff like that. I find that most of my clients and myself, if I'm not doing self-care for me as an emotional eater, food is my self-care, but yes. it's so destructive because I wear it on my body and I'm not comfortable in my skin because of it. So I found since kind of ditching the diet industry and going deep, I realized kind of the extent of my emotional eating episodes and my lack of self-care are highly correlated. So Mm. if I take care of myself, if I do my stress reduction techniques, you know, if I get my massages and, you know, do things for me, then I don't find myself desperately at the cupboard at night, like needing to numb out and treat myself. I think that's so awesome. And I totally agree. And I think that the power of finding joy in things outside of food is so strong and really, really necessary. But that takes a lot of time and a lot of practice. And like, what has this process been like in terms of length of time? Is this something that you were able to master in six months? Or has it been like years of evolution with your relationship with food? You know what, it's been about two years. And I had a couple months after my daughter Kennedy was born, I just was like really unhappy in my own skin and realized I just needed to start taking care of myself better. But 
I also had a few aha moments during my pregnancy where I was just like so cruel to myself and I was just like beating myself up about my body and I was eating in an uncontrollable way because I was so mean to myself and it was like this total cycle. So I actually found in my third trimester, I kind of just started to be more kind to myself which really changed everything. My like food compulsion changed. I wasn't so desperately wanting to eat to control things. And so, yeah, I would say it's been about a two-year journey. I got really serious about slowing down around my meal times two mm-hmm. years ago. And I was like, okay, the TV's off. I'm not going to drive while I eat. I'm going to just like, I say I love food this much. I'm going to give food its the full attention it deserves. And then it changed. I didn't need as much bulk. I didn't need to eat as much food. I took more pleasure out of each bite. And so that's when the weight really started to come off. And I started having a lot more kind of realizations about the emotional aspects and kind of some different breakthroughs. And I went to emotional eating retreats and things like that. Oh, cool. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. I love that you, I mean, those were probably all kind of big, scary, uncomfortable things at the time, like turning off the TV. I mean, I think that because when you look at TV and food or media and food, there's lots like two kinds of numbing at one time. Like, that's like, I I think that can be like the ultimate high for a lot of people because you're getting numbed in like two different ways. So turning off the TV, I think, and eating just with and being just with your food when you're eating, I think that can be super uncomfortable for people. And I think that, you know, slowing down also is uncomfortable because your level of consciousness is much stronger. If you're eating really quickly, you are able to kind of like shove emotion down as you're shoving the food down. 
So you're a lot more in touch with your food when you slow down. I think that can be really, really powerful. So I would imagine that these were kind of uncomfortable steps as you took them. So that must have taken some practice over time to kind of get comfortable in those new routines. Yeah. And it's funny you say that because I, there's something I often find myself thinking about and saying to my clients now, but in retrospect, I'm like, it's uncomfortable to, you know, put the social media away and put the newspaper aside while you eat breakfast, but it's also uncomfortable to live in the body you're living in. And so people come to me because they're tired of dieting, but they want to change their body. So I'm like, okay, we have to be, we have to get a little bit uncomfortable in order to change. But I remember yeah, like, just like just wanting something like just some distraction from myself and from my food. And, you know, now after a couple years of practicing, I'm like, I love eating alone. And I love eating without distractions. And I love tasting the bites and taking pleasure from it and knowing I'm really nourishing my body. But it's definitely taken me. Yeah, like I'd say, probably at least a year of really you know, consistently a couple times a week, making a mindful eating a practice. And then now, not every meal is super mindful, but I'd say like, maybe 75% of them are and the ones that aren't, that's okay. I don't guilt myself about that. But I just remember the benefit to it and that it's helping me live at a happy, healthy weight. And I don't want to ever go back to that overweight body. So this is what's worked for me. So I'm willing to even if it's a little uncomfortable sometimes, and it's very much against the grain of society. But it works for me. I love your connection between it's uncomfortable to stay where you're at and it's uncomfortable to live in the body that you're in if you're not happy with it, but it's also uncomfortable to make change. So you're choosing your discomfort. And I think that that's the important part there. It's like you can continue to do what you're doing that's not serving you well and be uncomfortable, or you can take these kind of scary steps and that will ultimately lead you to something more positive, which is so powerful. Mm-hmm. I would love to know with your when you talk about your third trimester of pregnancy, you talk about treating yourself more kindly. What were some specific things that you did during your third trimester? And are there tips that you give to other people when it comes to treating yourself more kindly and making a really concerted effort to do that? Yeah, well, so I had my big aha moment. I was at a kind of like a birth course and it was a bit of a woo-woo kind of hippy-dippy thing. And (laughs) they had us go around the circle and everyone said, the one word, the first word that would come to your mind. So people listening to this could do this right now. What's the first word that comes to your mind when you think about your physical body? And, you know, we went around the circle and some people were like goddess and fertile and beautiful. And all I could think was F-A-T, 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 fat, fat, fat. And when it came to my turn, I just like burst into tears and I said it. And like, it was so therapeutic for me to realize that like, and I wasn't the fat one. That's the crazy part too, is like, I wasn't even really, anyways, it doesn't matter, but it just goes to show that it's all kind of in our heads. But I just was like, I can't believe like how compared to these women who are so loving to themselves, why am I so mean to myself? And it's not like it was just a pregnancy. This was my whole life. I'd been so critical of myself. So I started doing some stuff with Louise Hayes work and like mirror work and just talking to myself like I would to my best friend. And if I caught myself saying something really nasty, I would just say cancel, cancel, cancel. And I would reframe it to at least be like a neutral thought, if not a positive thought. And, but my big thing was my thighs. I always like thought my thighs were so disgusting and fat and ugly, but I started to use that kind of, I'd say, no, cancel if I had that mean thought about my thighs. And then I would reframe it. My thighs are strong and powerful and they take me through my life. And 
it took me a while, but it started to really work. And now I barely have critical thoughts. I mean, once in a blue moon, something will trigger it. Like, you know, I'll go to Vegas and see a bunch of girls scantily <laughs> clad and start comparing myself again. But I can pretty quickly shut it off because, yeah, so I find that looking at myself in the mirror, finding one thing I liked about myself, even if it wasn't physical, helped. And just like being so grateful, gratitude is big. Like, I started to be more grateful for my body and how incredible the gift that I was, you know, growing a child. And then, and I still practice that now. Just I'm grateful to my heart for beating. And so it's hard sometimes when we're just surrounded by the media's images of these perfect looking women. But yeah, I think it's just realizing that that doesn't have to be your definition of beauty. You can make your own definition. Definitely. Definitely. You mentioned early on that you really started digging when you started getting out of dieting, you started doing a lot of personal development work. So is that kind of what you're talking about with these kindness practices? Or was that something do you have more that you worked on with in terms of personal development? Yeah, a lot of it came to like self, the way I talk to myself, like realizing that thoughts really eventually become things and manifest yeah. in our lives. And so I just like read like hundreds of books and a lot of like emotional eating topics I was really passionate about. And like I said, did some different workshops and retreats, but yeah, it kind of all came back to like, if like you create your reality and the way you talk to yourself is so huge. So I just really started working on my negative self-talk and breaking down the inner critic and questioning where, where did all these beliefs come from? Why am I so mean to myself? Why do I hate my thighs so much? And it was like, I had all these things came to me like, oh, I had a ballet teacher that told me my legs were big and I needed to slim down. I had a friend that told me if I didn't lose weight, I'd never get a boyfriend. Oh I gosh. like my sister and brother had totally different body types than me. And my, you know, I had the iron side hips and they, you know, and I had even a doctor at a young age said I had birthing hips. And like, there's just oh so many little gosh. things. But we all have a story like that. We all have different things that inform what we believe today. So I just like gently started questioning like everything. I'm like, why am I so effed up? Why can't I just love myself? And it came down to a lot of stories and stories that I was just like basically punishing myself with, even though they weren't even my truths. They were just somebody else's truths, you know? I've had this experience when you hear yourself saying all these things out loud and you're like, this is so crazy that like I got to this place and it was because of the way other people shaped you in your formative years. And when you hear that, it's so obvious that yeah. like you should be able to break free from it, that you have such greater value than those comments. But when you are in it and that's all in your head, it is so hard to see beyond that. And so I love hearing your story. And I'm sure as you're saying all this, like you realize how much you let other people's words have power over you and then taking back the power yourself is such an amazing transformative thing. Yeah. I mean, if you're willing to go back to the past and feel temporarily uncomfortable, then you can like really have a lot of freedom and a lot of people aren't willing to because it's too painful. But I mean, it's like we were talking about, it's uncomfortable, but then you get this whole new world of freedom opens up to you. So yes. I'm into like the short term you know, discomfort for long term, like life of freedom and joy. Right, right. I just read Elizabeth Vargas, who I know you're up in Canada. She's a US journalist and uh, news person. And I just read her book on addiction and anxiety. And she talked a lot about 
incidents in her early childhood when she was really little, like four years old, and how that created such like she was probably already maybe a little bit prone to anxiety, but she had some significant life events early on that made her extremely anxious and gave her actual like panic attacks as a child. And then how that really fueled her into addiction as an adult. And it was such a fascinating book. It's called Between Breaths, for those of you who would, and I'll link to it in the show notes here. So what was so fascinating is how she could go back and make these connections between like anxiety and panic as an adult and these events that happened as a really little girl and how that then led her to addiction and really, really struggling with addiction for many years. But what was so fascinating is just looking at the things that happened when she was like little incidents that like one incident at a time you wouldn't think was that big of a deal, but it was stringing together a few incidents from when she was very young And it became so obvious, like this is exactly why she would be so prone to panic attacks and anxiety and fearful of things and then need and drink to numb herself and to like try to erase and subdue the anxiety in her life. And it made me really go back and look at things that had happened early in my life. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is explaining so much. And I've been, (laughs) I've been hesitant. There's some things from my childhood that like, I'm kind of, I was like, my parents got divorced and I'm like, well, whatever, like everyone's parents got divorced. No big deal. So I'm like, wait a minute, like, let's really think about this. And it's been really, really interesting to think about just things that seemed not super significant at the time, but when you put them together in the context of a, you know, of your childhood and you string together multiple life events at a young age, they really, really do shape those behaviors in young adulthood and potentially all the way through adulthood. But it sounds like you've been able to kind of catch what was going on and really turn some of those things around, which is so powerful. But I agree, you do have to go back and look at the things and be in those kind of relive some of those uncomfortable places to be able to put them to rest. Hmm. Yeah. And I just kind of, I think we really just learn what we live and we can only do better when we know better. But like, I never have resentments towards my family or my parents because they just did the best they could. Right. But there are some patterns that I saw my parents experience and I don't want to repeat those patterns. And so I just kind of realized like, if I want my life to look different, I have to start doing something different. And that means like, you know, going back to those tough, painful moments and questioning them. And it goes pretty deep, but like sometimes you can't ever get what you needed in that moment when you were a little girl and maybe all you needed was a hug or to be told you were enough or perfect or lovable and nobody was there to tell you that. But now as an adult, you can go back and be that person for yourself and be the loving, responsible adult that you never maybe had at the time you needed it. So I don't do a ton of that stuff, but I definitely recommend like if you're yeah, if there's some kind of pattern, maybe questioning it. And maybe there's something that I mean, I don't remember being four years old, but then my earliest memory is probably like 11 years old. But yeah, I think there's so much that happens, because we just want to be loved. And we just right. kind of adapt ourselves to be these lovable people, whether that's true to ourselves or not. So that's why I think we get so messed up. <laughs> Hey mamas, just wanted to pop in because I have a special sponsor today. Today's sponsor is Studio Sweden. So Studio is actually a headphone brand that I was recently given the opportunity to test out and I'm kind of obsessed. And the funny thing is my husband, he calls himself an audiophile because he loves all things audio and he's like, 
very, very critical. So he tested these headphones as well, and we're both obsessed. So I got the Studio Tray headphones, which are inner ear headphones that are Bluetooth operated, so I can use them for running. They're sweat resistant, so I've used them for running. I've tested them for just walking around the house, walking the dog. I've tested them multiple ways. I've tested them like while driving or walking around in a store with just one in my ear and the other one hanging out. First of all, they don't fall out, which I swear I have like weird ears and always at least one ear always falls out. These do not fall out. And the sound quality is amazing, which is what my husband loved. So Studio has been kind enough because I said I loved my new tray studios so much. They've been kind enough to offer a discount to all shameless moms. So if you would like to test out a pair of studio headphones, you can go over to the show notes for this episode, go to shamelessmom.com, click on episode 152, and I have a link over there where you can pop over to their website and use the discount code to get your own pair of studio headphones for 15% off. They have lots of different kinds. They actually have over-the-ear ones, they have earbud ones, and then they have these inner ear ones that are the ones I use that are the sweat-proof ones that I'm loving. So definitely wanted to share that discount with you. Again, just go over to shamelessmom.com, click on episode 152, and you can scroll down and get all the sponsor information today and get your code to access these headphones for 15% off. All right, back to the show. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) I was laughing when you mentioned the grapefruit diet early on in our conversation because my mom was a chronic dieter and she had like the white fish diet, the grapefruit diet, the cabbage soup diet, and then Weight Watchers. And she was always kind of doing one or multiple of those at a time. And again, she was doing the best that she could, but my sister and I were modeled, like she would have her diet meal and then she would make us macaroni and cheese. And so my sister and I were both overweight kids because we had like frozen pizza, frozen chicken nuggets and tater tots and macaroni and cheese while my mom was like, I'm going to have my one piece of white fish. And and I used to always roll my eyes because I'd be like, your soup smells and your fish stinks. And But now looking back, I'm like, this is what I was modeled. I was modeled a mom who was always on a diet and prepared separate food for herself. And that was her, where she was at kind of in her own challenges with her value and her self-worth. But that definitely did impact me. And then by the time she had me join, are you familiar with Weight Watchers? I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. So I joined Weight Watchers with her. I think I was in the fifth grade the first time I did it. And I was the only kid there. And at the time, like I wanted to go. I went totally willingly, but... That's a pretty powerful experience to join a weight loss group as a fifth grader and then to be the only child there. And Mm. at the time, it just seemed like, sure, fine, whatever. But looking back, that will mess with your head. (laughs) And everyone there thought I was just like the adorable little kid. And so I got like all this special attention and they all wanted to hear my stories about like not eating candy with the other kids at lunch. But like, that's also weird. (laughs) And and also like eating lunch with my friends and being like, so guys, I'm going to my Weight Watchers weight. Like all of it is just weird. Like that is not age appropriate in any realm. But that was, so I definitely had some of those early diet experiences. So I can definitely relate to what you're talking about. And I also think some of it was just like, those were the things that women were doing in, you know, the eighties that were normal. And that was very normalized for a woman to be on her grapefruit diet or her cabbage soup diet and her family did something else. And I hope that we've evolved to a point where we're not doing that, or we have some awareness around like how that damaging that can be with our children. So tell us a little bit about you have a daughter who's two. What is your Mm -hmm. awareness about how your behavior and your past will impact her? 
Well, yeah, I think, you know, daughters especially really, they don't learn from what their moms say. They learn from what they see their moms do. So I'm pretty conscious of that because I remember watching my mom, you know, prodding at herself in the mirror and, you know, doing the Weight Watchers meetings and always being on some kind of program. And so I just, yeah, I'm more conscious, I think with, I mean, Kennedy's too. So, but she is starting to really pick up on things. And so like I might catch myself doing something in the mirror and I'm like, oh, I can't, like, I just need to be loving to this body because yeah. this is a blessing. And so I just don't want to repeat that. And then with food, I just think, I mean, I don't like the idea of having to cook three different meals for your family. And part of that is like, I'm selfish and I don't want to be spending more it's time in the kitchen. <laughs> but I'm like, really? Like, why do you feed your kids total like excuse my language, but why are they eating like craft dinner and you're eating a piece of fish and some veggies? Like, why can't they eat fish and veggies and maybe add some carbs in there for them? But like, yeah, we all as a family eat the same thing. And I have no idea what that will look like with more kids and all that stuff. And I'm like, I just moms that are feeding full families are amazing. And I don't know how they do it. But yeah, I just really think everybody should kind of be offered the same meal. And maybe I'll personally choose to eat a little bit less of the starchy carbs in the evening meal or something, but I don't need to cook a completely different meal. So yeah, I think I just am always as a mom now with the daughter, I just really want her to have a healthy relationship to food. And it's hard though, too, because sometimes like she'll be crying and I'm like, Oh, let's go get a cookie. Like I'm repeating. <laughs> So I am repeating some of the behaviors, which I don't really want to, but I'm more aware and I'm doing my best. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's funny. My son, we have three ice cream places within one block of our house. It's crazy. Yeah. So (laughs) we're right in the heart of Seattle and... And the third place that went in is gluten-free, dairy-free, which my son is gluten-free, dairy-free. So I was like, oh my gosh. So we've had to be careful about not using that as like bribery for everything because I'm like, we cannot reward him for everything with ice cream. Yeah. But yeah, I'm like, he would go every day. And he also was like a super lean kid who actually could like use the extra calories. So yeah, but not using it always as a reward. Yeah, we have to be a little bit careful with that. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids, because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. 
Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. So what are your thoughts on some of the most popular diets that are out there right now? And I know the two of them that I hear about a lot and that women ask me about most frequently right now are intermittent fasting and the keto diet. So can you maybe explain a little bit about what each of those are and then what your opinions are on both of them? Yeah, for sure. So I mean, like, they're both very well, like reference documented, there's lots of tons of great research to show the value of them, like intermittent fasting. I mean, the most that I mean, my husband actually does that he eats only within an eight hour window. So he stops eating by like seven at night, and then he doesn't eat till 11 in the morning. And he finds it super easy to follow. He loves it. He eats generally clean, but he eats whatever he wants, as much as he wants, but he just keeps in that window. And he loves it. It works amazing for him. So, I mean, he's not a foodie. He's not like, I wake up and I'm like, yay, breakfast. Like, I'm excited to eat because that's part of my life and it's something I take a lot of joy in. So, for me, that feels restrictive and that feels yucky and that doesn't feel good for me intuitively. But I think if it feels good and you try something and it works for you, awesome. And then, I mean, the keto diet, I just like, I know you can get, if you eat like a low amount of carbs, everyone's going to lose weight, but it's whether that works for your body. I think that's another thing people need to consider is that like, just because your best friend is doing awesome on a certain diet, she's got a different biological makeup than you. So it might not work as great for you. Or, you know, maybe your relationship to food means that you need to be a bit more gentle with yourself, or else you're going to relapse and you're going to go off the deep end as soon as stress happens. So ketogenic also like very well documented. It's like great for like cancer. And, you know, yes, it's going to work for weight loss. But it's again, like, I love carbs. I'm never going to do the keto diet. You can't pay me enough money to do it. Like, <laughs> so it's like they work. And I'm saying work with quotation marks, because it depends what you value. And it depends what your background is. And, you know, I value being able to just go to a barbecue with friends and being able to try everything and not feel guilt about it and not feel like I'm cheating on my keto or whatever. So yeah, they all work, but depends what your definition of success with life and with food is. And for me, it's freedom and it's not overthinking things. And it's just enjoying the moment and trusting that my body will be able to process the food. And so, yeah, I really obviously as the diet dropout is my business. I really don't have a lot. They can all work and they can all be really hard on your body and they can all, you know, there's just both sides of the coin. Right. And I think that for most people, they're not things that are really restrictive. Intermittent fasting can be pretty restrictive and keto dieting can definitely be pretty restrictive. I think that for most people, those aren't sustainable, but you make a great point for your husband who is more into like fueling than feeding. So like for feeding, I think sometimes we're just like, I want the thing that tastes good and that I love and the starchy carbs and those kinds of things. Versus if you're just like, eating is kind of a hassle and you just have to get it done a few times a day, then that's a lot different. And so maybe intermittent fasting will work well for you because you're like, whatever, I don't really care what I eat or when I eat it. So this, I can just put together the schedule that works really well. I love what you say about 
something not feeling intuitive to you or feeling restrictive, I totally agree that if something feels restrictive to you, it's not going to be sustainable to you. And it's the same thing. If something doesn't feel intuitive, it's not going to be sustainable. So that doesn't mean that like if you're in the habit of having ice cream every single night, for example, taking that out might initially feel restrictive. So there's a time when you're making habit change, there might be that you put some restrictions on yourself. But if you were to say like, I'm never going to eat ice cream again, or I'm going to cut all sugar, I'm not going to eat sugar for 60 days, like those kinds of things. When you have that sense of like, this just feels really restrictive to me and it doesn't feel intuitive. Those are the things that I think that we're not going to stick with. So sometimes there will be periods where you're like, I'm going to, and I actually recently did this with cheese where I was like, I'm not going to eat cheese every day anymore, Hmm. even though I love cheese and I want to have it with every meal and like melted and hard cheese and with crackers (laughs) and with wine. (laughs) But I was like, I'm just going to cut back on the cheese. I'm not taking it out of my diet completely. I'm just not having it every day. And I knew that for me, and I know that I don't react well to dairy, even though I like to have it three times a day. So I knew that for me, I needed to do it in a way that felt intuitive and did not feel restrictive. So it was like, okay, you can still have cheese here and there, but we're not going to keep cheese. We keep some cheese in the house, but we're not going to keep like the fancy cheese in the house that I want to eat like every night while I'm making dinner accompanied by two glasses of wine. We're just not going to keep that in the house. So I felt no restriction around that because I was like, I'm still going to eat cheese when I go out. If I want to have cheese like here and there, it's still, I have the cheddar cheese in the fridge, but that was really important that it didn't feel super restrictive. And then it was actually like, it was not a big deal for me to stop eating cheese every day. Yeah. And I think a big thing I encourage people is like strive for progress yes. and small changes, like just like cold Turkey. I'm never eating cheese again, probably might last a week or two. And then like life happens and then you're eating like an entire block of brie in one sitting. So right. I think a lot of people are like perfectionists and if they can't do it a hundred percent, they don't think it's worth doing. But like you said, like I'm like that with wine. I'm like, I used to be like, okay, I'm not drinking wine Monday to Friday and it didn't work. It worked for a week. And then I'm like, well, I love a glass of wine with dinner. So why am I depriving myself of this joy? It just can't turn into a bottle of wine, you know? Right. right. And another thing I really find useful for that is like, how do you want to feel? How do you want to feel an hour from now? And so a lot of people will eat things, you know, with no regard to their body. And so for me, it's like, okay, I can have anything I want, but I generally question myself, like, am I going to feel energetic and good and like I can work and feel awesome? Or am I going to feel lethargic and farty and gassy and needing to have a nap in an hour? So I don't say there's no bad foods, but there's just foods that make me feel awesome and foods that make me feel terrible. And yeah, sometimes I'll choose the food that makes me feel terrible with full conscious awareness that I'm doing it or maybe because I don't know, but usually like, you know, when you're doing it, but I just find, yeah, restricting and going cold turkey never works. It just never works. So yeah. I love your point about the wine because I'm totally in the same boat (laughs) where I've done the same thing. Like I'm not going to have wine Monday through Friday, but then yeah, I've been like, I don't have a lot of other sugar, like sugar is not my thing. So I'm like, I can have a glass of wine every day if I want to. And I'm going to be really aware of like, if that's my priority, then that means like, I'm not going to have dessert. I'm not going to have the cheese. I'm not going to. So it's a trade for me where like, that's a high priority item for me. And so if I'm having, so most days I'll have a glass of wine, but 
I rarely have dessert. I keep my portions really like in check at dinner, like those kinds of things. So I'm aware of like, it's not a glass of wine in addition to a free for all meal, in addition to a big dessert. So it's kind of picking and choosing like, where do I want my indulgence to be? And then really enjoying that indulgence and being like, oh my gosh, this is the best glass of wine ever, every single day, <laughs> you know, but picking what I want to be the thing that is brings me the most joy and letting that be there and be something really joyful without guilt. And then also making sure I'm balancing that with things that really fuel me well. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And like the guilt piece is massive. We could talk all day about that. But if you're drinking the wine and feeling bad about it, you're not even enjoying the wine. So what's the point? Same with desserts or whatever. It's like I tell people just eat with joy and get the pleasure from it because guilt only leads to overeating. Guilt makes you feel bad. And then you usually end up eating more or doing the what, oh, what the which is just basically deciding since you kind of messed up or ate too much, you're just going to keep going. And so I, I think regret and just kind of realizing you ate too much or like maybe that wasn't a great choice. Regret's healthy, but guilt is just putting so much stress on yourself for no reason. And it's actually pretty destructive. Definitely. How do you see dieting damage women beyond the food and the weight part of it and that roller coaster, like in terms of mental health, quality of life, self-abuse? Yeah. I mean, I think hmm, it can really damage your metabolism. Mm -hmm which is a whole can of worms, but also just like your spirit. You're basically when you're dieting, telling yourself that you can't be trusted and that you're a lunatic and that, you know, you have no willpower and you have to follow someone else's way of eating. And I think that's just such a disempowering way of living your life. So like, I just like to show women to take back the power and, you know, make a choice because you care about your body and you love yourself so much that you want to feel great instead of dieting because you hate something about yourself. So I think dieting kind of just sets you up to lose trust in yourself and feel like you can only do it right if you're following someone else's rules. And that doesn't work for me and that doesn't work for a lot of people, but some people do like the structure and the rules. But no matter what, I think the key to having a joyful relationship with food is to feel like you can trust yourself. And dieting is literally the opposite of really trusting yourself. So I think it kind of damages our spirits, damages our metabolism, takes our trust for ourselves away, takes us out of touch with our intuition about food because really we're so wise and our bodies know exactly what they need, but we just need to slow down and get more in touch with our bodies and they'll tell us everything, but we just need to slow down. (laughs) Yes, definitely. So we're going to wrap here in just a minute. Before we wrap and go into our shameless mommy minute, I want to know in what ways you are a shameless mom. Well, I think the biggest thing is just being able to be true to my passions. And I love my daughter, Kennedy, with all my heart. She's two years old and we just started full-time daycare this week. So it's kind of a good timely thing. But I just like in my heart, I was like, I need to get back to my other passion, which is the diet dropout. And I want to spread this empowering message to women. And I need more time to do that. And yes, there was some guilt moments this week. And it's been a kind of a hard week emotionally. But I don't want to be like a guilty mommy and I don't want my whole life to be about my daughter. And part of me is like cringing because I'm like, people are going to judge me for saying that. But I really want to be a mom who like is an amazing example for my daughter to love her career and to live a full life and be able to do it all, I guess. So yeah, I think just being able to accept that daycare is what's happening and I don't need to feel guilty every single day. And so that's kind of my shameless mom moment this week. 
I love that. So my son started full day daycare when he was two. Yeah. And it was an awful transition. It took us many mm-hmm. weeks and he he's had separation anxiety since he was like two months old. So and he still has it. So and he's almost five. So now he does great. He loves school. But when we initially started, it was a rough transition. And I questioned myself so much. And then when we finally got through the transition and I was like, oh my gosh, I am such a better balanced person, which makes me so much more lovely for anyone to be around, including my son and my husband. And I was like, daycare is like the best thing that ever happened to us. (laughs) That's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. Totally get. I think that when you really love your work, it's a big part of your identity. And to stifle that because you are also trying to be a full-time parent or as hands-on of a parent as possible, I think just limits your relationships with everyone. And so I know that for some people staying at home with their kids is totally lights their fire and fuels them and makes their heart swell. For me, it did not. No, me neither. (laughs) For us, it was actually really good to have him in childcare outside of the house and where I could be more focused on work. And then our family time is just way higher quality as a result. And I am way less of a panicky, freak out, irrational parent. <laughs> so it's been a really good change. So I wish you good luck as you go through that transition because I know it's it can be a little bit challenging initially, but you'll probably think from the little that I know about you from our hour of conversation, I think you'll really love having your daughter in childcare. Yeah, I think it's a good decision so far. <laughs> yeah. So before we go into our Shameless Mommy Minute, can you tell us where we can find you and where we can connect with you? Yeah, so I've got a website, thedietdropout.com, and all my kind of my video blogs are on there. And I've got a really awesome six-part video series just showing my top six kind of weight release tips that have nothing to do with dieting. And I'm on Instagram at the Diet Dropout and Facebook at the Diet Dropout. And I'd love to, yeah, I post a lot of videos about you know, how to release body fat without dieting and how to love yourself in the moment and how to overcome, you know, the emotional eating triggers that really keep a lot of us stuck. So nice. I love it. Okay, so we will have all that linked up. I will link to your website to the dietdropout.com and also to Instagram and Facebook over on our show notes. So if you want to go to shamelessmom.com and click on episode 152, that will all be linked up there. So okay, are you ready for our shameless mommy minute? Yes. (laughs) Here we go. So what is your favorite way to treat yourself? I would say a massage. That's just like my total indulgence. I've been trying to get one in a week, which is a lot, but nice. I love it. I absolutely love it. That's so great. Current book that you're reading or the last one you read? So I'm reading Women, Food, and God by Janine Roth. And I probably read this book every like four or five months. Janine Roth is one of my favorite authors when it comes to that emotional eating piece. And it's always a good kind of check-in book to read. So that's a good one. Oh, nice. I will link to that in the show notes as well, because that sounds like something that some of our listeners might enjoy if this episode has been helpful to them. Yeah. What is one morning ritual you can't live without? My biggest one is like immediately upon waking, I just go sit in my office on my meditation pillow and I just spend anywhere from five to 20 minutes just breathing and thinking about what I'm grateful for. And just, I try to start my day like that. So I have peace instead of chaos throughout the day. Yes, I love it. So I know we've both been coached by Craig Ballantyne and our listeners have heard my interview with Craig Ballantyne, but he talks about the power of starting your day being proactive rather than reactive. And that is the perfect example. And it's a hard example for parents because we often don't get up until our kids wake us up. So I love that you're getting up and doing that first thing so you can be proactive to kick off your day. And it was hard to get up earlier, but it's so worth it. And I feel like I've gained back so much time and energy because of, 
even I might lose a few minutes of sleep, but to have control and peace in the day has been so worth it. Yeah. I actually, in my last mastermind group within the Shameless Mom Academy, had multiple women who decided to start getting up earlier than their kids and they were all terrified. But they all said that. They were like, I cannot believe how magical this is. So who is your biggest inspiration? You know what? If I'm ever kind of down in the dumps, I always YouTube Brendan Burchard and I just love his videos and he's so positive. And, you know, he started from, you know, nothing like, you know, a little laptop in his freezing apartment. And now he's like inspiring millions of people around the world. So I, Brendan Burchard's definitely up there right now for me. Awesome. If you could give all moms one superpower, what would it be and why? I think the number one thing would be to, you know, ditch the guilt, like just own what you're deciding to do. And just, I feel like guilt is the most useless emotion because it keeps us feeling bad about ourselves and it keeps us stuck. And it's really not a productive way to feel or go through life. So the superpower would be just to be guilt free. Yes, I love it. Charmaine, thank you so much for joining us today on the Shameless Mom Academy. I appreciate you sharing your story and being really open about your experiences and where you've come from and how far you've come. I know that this conversation is going to help a lot of other moms listening in who have been struggling with food and their relationship with food and with emotional eating and dieting and all those kinds of things. So I really appreciate you being here. Oh, thanks for having me. That was so fun. You have to come back next time you have a new project in the works and we'll talk about that. (laughs) That sounds great. Okay. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you so much for spending time with Charmaine and I in the Shameless Mom Academy today. All links mentioned in the show, as well as anywhere you can find Charmaine online, will be over at the show notes. So if you go to shamelessmom.com and click on episode 152, you'll find all those links and any information mentioned in the episode. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the Shameless Mom Academy, know that we do release new episodes every Monday and Wednesday. So please subscribe to the show and come back and listen again in just a few days. You can subscribe to the show and never miss an episode if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review. That takes you into iTunes where you can hit the subscribe button and make sure you get access to every episode as soon as it's released. It will also allow you to leave a review. There's a little button that says write a review when you are in that link as well. So go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review to subscribe and review this show. Your reviews mean the world to me and it also gives me a lot of feedback in terms of what you love. It also gives other mamas feedback when they're looking at this podcast thinking, hmm, do I want to spend my time listening to this? And they read the reviews and they think, oh yes, these are my people. These are the kind of people I want to be spending time with. It sounds like Sarah talks about some great stuff and this is where I want to be inspired and learn more. So I always appreciate a review, even if it's just one or two sentences. So thank you in advance for that. Thank you for spending time with us. I hope that you learned something new today. I hope you learned something valuable that you can put to use in your life to make life a little more shameless for you. And I hope you have a fantastic day and a few more days until we meet again in our next episode. So no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. 
you get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.